Welcome back, film addicts and moguls. This is part two with Paul Heth. Um, hi, Paul, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. Yes. And so um, I wanted to ask, Paul, your story is so incredible. Can you share with us your your start to your career path as a film producer sure. and film executive? Okay. Well, I think like any career, nothing was really planned. Um, but again, I always had a love of the movies because I felt no matter what your economic circumstances are or where you have been or where you think you're going to go, we all have a common experience of what it means to have a favorite movie and going to the movies. And I would say that's probably one of the most common discussion points you can have with any person in the world is what's your favorite movie. So um, I served in the, in the military. Which, which was a blessing, and that, that got me an education. And I went first time enlisted, served as a, in the tank, you know, armor corps as a, in the tanks, and then I went back. They paid for my college, and I went back as an armor officer, which was a great education, how to lead people, how to have discipline, how to be, you know, um, uh, actually can perform under, under very difficult circumstances and so on and so forth. Teamwork, just... A lot of great lessons for life. Um, and then I left the service. I ended up in, in Moscow uh, looking at one kind of business I did that didn't work out and was with a friend in a bar. And we said, well, let's go to movies. And we realized all the movie theaters were closed. So I got this crazy idea um, to start a movie theater. And we found a, a Radisson Hotel that had a conference hall that had an old Soviet um, film projector in it. Oh, and wow. I said, yes, oh, a water cool wow. film projector. And then Wait, that's like the Cinema Paradiso, uh, an old film projector. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. Boy in a so, toy store, right? <laughs> the story even gets even more funny. So then, well, we need a movie. And I I'd be, I was friends with an agent out in Los Angeles that I met. You know, somehow I had a business card from an agent, a gentleman named Rick Bedingfield. And... So I called Rick and said, Rick, I'm in Moscow. I need a movie. And you're not going to So he said, well, look, the only movie I think we can get was a movie called The Plague, which was based on the Camus. Camus the Plague? Uh, Did you say The Plague? We're in the middle of the pandemic, and the first movie you had was The yeah. Plague. Oh, my the gosh. <laughs> well, this, but this is back in the night. It wasn't a plague yet. But The, the Plague was a William Hurt movie, Raul Julia, and... Um, but it, it, because of litigation, it wasn't released anywhere, Robert Duvall. But we got the movie, and I didn't have any money, so I went to the, the local newspaper. I said, give me credit. I went to Coca-Cola. I said, I'm an officer and gentleman. My word means something. I'll pay you. And we opened this movie, and, and we built it as the, the world premiere of the plague. And by the way, it was, it was a searing kind of very heavy, dramatic piece, you know, movie. Oh, and so we got Robert Duvall, I called his agent, and Robert called on the radio station, and we launched it. And this is very funny, since we had a Russian-speaking audience as well as English, we, we didn't have subtitle dub. I had one young young guy, who still works for me, by the way, because it had, uh, the, the event hall had uh, audio system for, they could broadcast conferences. So we got the script, and we read the parts in Russian on headphones for our Russian audiences, and obviously English for our English-speaking audiences on the speakers. 
That yeah. is so clever. Oh. You are, you're just like funny. creative. Oh my yeah. God. That is like, yeah. I mean, I see the movie, Paul. I'm going to bug you about that. You're going to be like, are we making the movie? Are we making the movie? You, you, yeah. Okay. So, so okay. So, so I can do everything. So so we so tell us about your line. So, so the young men uh, read both the, the female and the male parts are very fun. But I couldn't believe like on that, that fall Monday, we had like a prophet. And I couldn't believe it was a prophet. And me and my partner at the time, we literally had a two-room flat that we converted one room into a office. And one room, we kind of took shifts on who would sleep. And oh very exciting time. We were very careful how we answer the phone. And this was Golden Ring. Golden Ring Entertainment, and you know, like we're this and that. So we started that, and that went for a while. Then I started another small hotel cinema, and then I got my break with Eastman Kodak, where I met a Kodak executive in the lobby of the of the Sheremetyevo Moscow Airport. And I said, "Look, prior to Perestroika, you guys used to sell millions of dollars of film for for, for movies in the market to be on you know on the film projectors, but that business is gone." Why don't you invest in me? We can make a showcase cinema. And, and if it works, they'll bring back movie going. You can start selling that film again. So you're kind of making a marketing expense. And they actually, to my shock and amazement, they believed in me. And they they invested like $2 million. And we, we opened a showcase cinema right in the middle of Moscow and Pushkin Square. Oh um, I, found in a, uh, I found in a conference hall from Investia, we made it, which was kind of a, like, the na national kind of news service for the country, and they had this hall that wasn't being used anymore. And we made the most grand, beautiful theater. And we, our first movie was The Rock with Sean Connery, which I got the Walt Disney Company, a gentleman named Mark Cerati, who ran uh, Walt Disney International at the time, gave it to me. Um, and it was the first movie released in Russia with, with all the parts were, were dubbed in proper audience and digital sound and, and proper different speaking parts, all dubbed in Russian. Mr. Zerati had it dubbed in London with Russian actors. We had digital sound. And Mark, by the way, is now the, the president CEO of Cinemark after he was the, the chairman, I think, of, of the Walt Disney Internet Studio. He had a very fabulous career at Walt Disney. But when we put we, we opened the theater in the morning, we had lines for a kilometer, and we played the music, when we played the film on a digital sound system, in this hall that was just absolutely beautiful, 600, 700 seats, people applauded when the, when, they, when, the, when, when the actor who portrayed Sean Connery spoke in that beautiful digital sound. People just couldn't believe it and started applauding. And that started kind of my exhibition career. And then the next big break is that we showed Titanic there. Um, oh, wow. And Mr. Cameron came to our theater with um, uh, some of the producers, John Landau and... We, we did that, and then it just went from there to there, and that was just fabulously. It was the highest-grossing theater in the world. We ran film from 9 in the morning till 3 in the morning. It was just a fabulous, uh, fast-paced. You know, I'd, I'd pick all the music for the lobby, and we introduced, like, you know, which everybody takes for granted now, but like a coffee cafe on the second floor, and we, we introduced the first popcorn and Coke combos in the market, and it was just a really exciting time. And, which is really a fabulous time for me and really exciting. And then I wanted to expand the business, but Kodak didn't, for whatever reason, want to build more. And that's where I was out at, at, at uh, Las Vegas. Um, I went to a trade show there, the, the, which I couldn't afford to get in at first. And two gentlemen took, took, I think, pity on me and gave me 
tickets to go to lunch events where you can see all the movie stars and hear the studio executives. And those two gentlemen, Steve Gula, who runs Fox Searchlight, and Tim Warner, who just retired recently as chairman of Cinemark, two very seminal companies in our industry. And they became lifelong friends and mentors to this day. I'm very close with both those gentlemen. And then I heard Mr. Redstone speak. He had just purchased Paramount, and he gave a very stirring speech about how he did and overcame all the odds. I think he outbid Mr. Diller for it at the time, Barry Diller. And then I got this idea to call Mr. Redstone's office. So I started calling his office to come meet him. I didn't know what I was going to present. I was just trying to get in the office. Oh, my God. It took, it took about two years. And I finally got an appointment to go to Boston to meet what I thought was him. But I actually ended up meeting uh, Sherry Redstone, who took the meeting. And that has started really a tremendous friendship for me and, and someone who believed in me when others didn't. And Sherry and I, and uh, National Business, we started a business in the United States called City Bridge Ventures right at the same time. It was based on some of the things I was doing in Russia, like VIP seating and you know cafes and alcohol and different things that we all that are now a part of the experience in the movie going in America. And we launched a, a business in, in the West Coast, East Coast. That was very successful called The Bridge. Then I sold all of my shares back to them. And then, then Miss Redstone and National Music backed me in Russia. And we started a fabulous company called Kinostar that just broke all box office records. We sold that business in 2000. We bought... Ms. Redstone and I bought it out in 2009 from the other partner, National Amusements. Then we sold that in 2011. And then I, I, I bought another company in 2012 with, with some investment funds and some banks that I hold today called Carol. And around the same time, around 2005, I got the idea to start getting involved in producing. And so we, we formed a venture with Sony Pictures with Michael Linton, who now I think is the chairman of SNAP. Um, but we started a local language production company called Monumental Pictures. My partner is a gentleman named Mike Mikhail Schlicht, and we've produced over the years probably 15 or 18 uh, local language films with studio partners, including Sony, um, Fox, and recently the Walt Disney Company. And now we, we, we're, we, what we usually do is, is identify a great script, producer, uh, local like maybe network partner, and director, and then then we we come handle like the the theatrical distribution of worldwide rights, invest in it, kind of grow the business side of it. Um, and then about four or five years ago, we started getting more hands on on the creative side, and we've been producing our own stuff. And matter of fact, our next big picture comes out in April called Row Nineteen, which is a really cool franchise that we developed that uh, coming to the theater <laughs> this summer, hopefully in in, in the non Russian markets. Um, so I, I just been very blessed and I'm very active. I believe passionately in cinema. I, I always tell people that in, when I first went to Russia, everyone in Russia told me that cinema was over with, that people wanted to watch movies at home. They had rampant piracy. So everyone had VCRs on watch, watching these pirated copies of the, all the great movies. And I said that that's, 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 that's not correct. That's malarkey. And people want it. There's nothing like watching a movie in a theater with all the best technology and all the collective emotion of, a, of an audience watching a picture together. And I think that, that I'd be very careful with the streamers now that, that not to throw away a $50 billion industry because you're trying to be in a commodity business of filling time on the screen. Everyone only has a certain amount of time to watch TV at home. 
and that time will dissipate as the COVID dissipates. People want to get out to the restaurants. They want to hold hands in the park. They want to go to the theater. And, um, you know, uh, I think that that business is going to come roaring back. You know, in Russia, we've already we reopened in August our theaters. And even now, we're, we're, we're having pictures open at $30 million in 10 days. We're, we're already almost normalized. I, I just see a great future for motion picture. I believe that the best storytellers want their stories told on the big screen. And I think audiences, you know, we talk about 200 million people signed up for Netflix. That's nothing compared to the billions of people who bought tickets in 2019 and 20 before COVID. That is the biggest, uh, you know, on-demand platform in the world. I think it'll come roaring back. And, you know, um, I believe passion in that business. And I believe in the, the creative bond, the creative wonder of storytelling in the big screen. So we're, we're very happy to be both provide that venue for people to enjoy movies and also to invest in movies themselves. So I've been very blessed and, and look forward to, to more achievement in both those areas. Yeah, I, I believe that, you know, someone, you know, a lot of people have their first dates in movie theaters. So, you yeah. know, that that's something I think that, you know, if you're going to go on a first date, something that like, you know, it's at a theater, people feel comfortable, there's lots of people around, or maybe they're like, you got like two seats empty next to you, so you feel more comfortable. But yeah, first dates, uh, girl parties, wedding parties, a bachelor, you know, like uh, groups of people like to see things. And then going to see, you know, a big animation film with your grandparents, or your mom and your kids with other kids you know I, I i i i'm with you on that but you know i think there's room for all like you know 100%. that's the thing i always tell people that there's always been 24 7 hundreds of channels showing movies and tv great tv for our whole life and the, the point is but people have so many hours in the day and i think what streaming is happening is they're cannibalizing each other i you know it's interesting my children who also love going to movies, but my son, for example, you know, when he when he gets to Netflix and various sources, he immediately looks for a movie that he remembers from a theatrical experience. Like you know, he'll, he'll watch all the Adam Sandler stuff that he watched first in the theater. And I just think that people, that I'd be very careful. The producers and, and our colleagues at the studios, and I have this kind of argument or these talks with my colleagues frequently. That be careful because the the magic, the value of creating a theatrical experience. That value makes that the film that you enjoy it carries a certain creative value onto the next platforms, including in the home on TV. And I think if you cut out the theater, and you, I just think what happens is it becomes a scrolling commodity. And I don't think Matrix or Harry Potter or all these great franchises would be what they'd be if they were just a TV enterprise, in my opinion. And I think we're going to find that out. And I think there's a way to do both. And I think that there's been a lot of creativity on both sides. To try to find a way forward with the terrible restrictions of COVID, but I think those we do have the magic pill of the vaccines and social distancing and things that we're learning. I do think there's going to be an opportunity for filmmakers and, and all the filmmakers I know globally. Hey, man, they, they want that. They want to be at the Palace of the Arts at Cannes. They, they want to be at the Dolby Theater. They want to be in my October Theater, you know, on Tushkaya, which is our big premiere theater in Moscow, and see two thousand people watching a film in bated breath. What, what is going to happen on that screen? They don't want to just be in the living room. Like, and, I, and I think there's magic to that business. And I all think that there's good return on that business. I think we're going to see that again. So, so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doubling down where, you know, my company and I were, we're making more investments even now in the down period. 
as people are nervous about the future of our sector. So we, we believe it's an opportunity. And we'll see who's who's right at the end of the day. Oh, but I think we we feel pretty confident. Our, 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 our um, moguls from Growth Guide to Investment are like, oh, you know, should we invest in cinema? Should we invest in cinema? Netflix, Hulu, yeah. And then all our filmmakers who are asking, you know, that they're, uh, you know, there's a lot of investors out there too. Like, they're some of them are wary right now because, um, you know. So, uh, what would you say to a filmmaker that is looking to make a film? Any advice for for um, a young filmmaker? You know, I'm I'm still a relatively young man, but in my career, and I've been now in a motion picture business in 1993, uh, that there's never been more content being produced, being shot on film, regardless of what its viewing platform will be, than ever. Now, there's such a demand for content. you know. And let's be honest that, that there's a lot of opportunity for content, but there's just limited people that are unique and have a special vision to, to tell that story. And I'd say that I, first of all, as a first-time filmmaker, wherever you can get investment, you got to get it because it's so hard to track as a first-time. You know what I mean? And it's interesting. We, in my company, we have a very vibrant arts division where we show theatrically movies from festivals from all over the world, like you know, Fear Cinema, the Jewish Film Festival, the Armenian Film Festival, the Under Twenty Five Film. Like we try to find product that doesn't necessarily have a theatrical marketing business release, but was made by some young filmmakers. So that's grown now to 10% of our, of our, of our business from like 1%. And, and that's a good, that's a sizable number. I'm saying the gross amount of our business, but I say that because audiences also like to, um, to enjoy, to enjoy films in that medium. But as a first time filmmaker, just, just find a way to get that budget and get it made. You know what I mean? Like the other day, I, and I won't use any names, but, you know, my partner and I were pitched by a young filmmaker who had a great story about what happens with a cast of four or five people in the house and very low budget. And we were so excited by this passion of this guy that we're trying to figure out a way to do it. So that gentleman maybe doesn't have as many options as someone who has a, a track record. And I see that the great filmmakers, the large-scale commercial filmmakers, meaning that they, they, they have a business following, can make for both Mark, you know, both theatrically, but I and and for streaming at the home, but. I still believe strongly in, in the theatrical sector. So as a filmmaker, you do any way you can, you know. Uh, but we're, we're, we're even looking at films shot on iPhones and things like that. There's a, there's a whole world of content out there, that, but you just got to find a way to get it, to get it produced and out and packaged. Um, in terms of investing, I would be very careful. I think on the cinema side, a lot of cinema companies that were public prior to, to the pandemic carried very high debt loads and didn't have a capital reserve, and I think are very stressed with their fixed costs. My company and my shareholders, we're, we had to be very disciplined because we work in an emerging markets where you have to be more careful of your cost of capital. And in an emerging market, you're more open to economic events that like, like the run on currency or the price of oil. You're more sensitive than you are in mature markets. So we had to run a very disciplined business because of that discipline. In the COVID area, we didn't have to lay off a single person. We didn't have to be stressed on our balance sheet because we built up reserves. I think sometimes a lot of people, when it's an easy stock market and they can borrow money very inexpensively, they didn't look after those niceties as they should have. And now those companies are stressed. So I'd be very careful investing in public cinema stocks. But, you know, the, 
companies that are focused on entertainment, I do think that a lot of them, like the big studios, that they're, they're, I mean, a big portion of their profit was from what? The amusement parks and theatrical. And I think that those businesses, in my opinion, will return as COVID dissipates. I think there's room for both. You know, the at home viewing of streaming, which, by the way, I think streaming is more problematic for the cable TV operators, which in many com- places is the same company. I think you'll find money migrate from the cable bill to a smaller streaming bill. But I still think people want to go out and see the great epic pictures on the big screen. Yeah. And then um, I love that um, you gave some advice on um, some qualities. Uh, could you kind of just share like the qualities that stand out to you? Like um, if someone's looking for a mentor or like, I loved what you said. And uh, if you could just share that again, like your qualities that. Well, I, I think that, that, first of all, I, not my grandfather, and my, you know, who, who growing up you know, I, in my, in my home situation was a single parent household. My mom was, a cashier uh, at a bank and tried to raise his four kids. And I actually got some very, very early for, for, you know, for economic and other reasons. And the person I most admired was my grandfather who came to America from Dublin and worked very hard and raised a family of nine children, including my mom. Oh, wow. And nine kids. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Yeah. So you're with Irish. Nice. Yeah. And with a, with a high school education. And, but his big thing was that, and again, this sounds very corny, like, you know, but I, I just say that he felt that being born in America, now I say the same thing to young Russian people when I speak, but that you have so many opportunities with technology and the ability to communicate and the ability to, to, to I, I wanted to focus on the, that to make connections. You can make really direct connections with people and technology has made that easy, but there's still that personal connection Try to find someone that, whether it be in your industry or their standards or, or the way they conduct themselves as someone to, to emulate. And, you know, my heroes, like, you know, I, I was a big, so respected with Mr. Redstone when he took a company of three or four or five drive-ins and built it into this substantial media holding with, you know, theaters and motion picture studios and cable TV companies and billboard companies and book companies and publishing. But I, I admire very much how he built that business. And of course, I ended up out of that having a mentor in one of the great business relationships of my career and friendships with Miss Redstone, who, who's been very helpful. And then someone like Steve Gula, who runs Fox Searchlight now, who helped me early in my career, will always take my call. Or Tim Warner, who who uh, built NATO, which is a trade association from Motion Picture in America and ran Cinemark. So I tried to find people I emulated the same when I was in the service. Uh, so try to find people. And, and I always can tell someone, you know, the most important people I've met, you know what, they put their phone down. They're, they're very prompt. And they, they, they're very respectful and treat their time as very important. So, you know, um, I find that you, know, you can tell someone that those are causes a lot, like that, that attentive, prompt, honest, forthright, but very courteous, very respectful of your time. Don't don't try to like look down upon people and you know things like that. And these are little things that sound like simple things, but you'd be surprised. And oftentimes I'll be in a meeting with someone who's a vice president for the moment. They'll take calls in the meeting or not be focused. And I, at that moment I say, you know, I probably won't do business with these guys. Like 
Oh my no. gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I had a meeting with an agent and someone referred me to it was a big agent. It was a female agent. She was on the phone the whole time. And I just sat there and I was like, I, I was horrified. I didn't know what to do. I literally sat there in silence and it was awful. Oh my gosh. I say good for that person and, and, and not say they're a bad person, but you know, and I, I was recently in a, in a meeting in New York right before the pandemic, but let's just say, now I, I don't want to pick a composite, one of the really the most wealthy men in the world in his forties, that gentleman, I could tell what the meeting was like at nine o'clock. He was there at eight fifty-five. He was briefed. He was absolutely focused. And this was a man that, that's overseeing a very massive enterprise. And I find that the more successful people are, the more focused and respectful they are of your time. But make sure you're respectful of their time. So come with a plan, come with a purpose, make sure you know your business, make sure that you have a start and they listen carefully. It's almost more that you're going there to listen than to speak and then get on with your business and be respectful of time. But I've always, and I try to teach this to my son, like my son wants to be like, you know, the great tennis player. So I said, Let's look at all the tennis players. Who has the best work ethic? Who speaks to people well? How do they treat you? Like, and then he found his hero. Like, so he unbelievably uh, admires uh, Rafa Nadal. So my son wears his clothes, but it's very Wait, important. Who does he like? What tennis players? Rafa and who? You, right. My, well, my son likes a player named Rafa Nadal. Rafa Nadal is a Spanish player who's just an icon in, our, in the sport. But he likes him because he works so hard and, He's always respectful to the people at the, on the, the court. And, you know, and there's also some bad boy tennis players. So I was glad that my son was kind of following, you know, try to emulate people that, that have all the qualities that, that we need in life, you know, to be considerate, to have manners, to return phone calls. And I always, I always tell young people, hey, if you're going to call on me, better please have a plan. What's the outcome you're looking for? Follow up, you know, be, be ready to go. Sometimes people show up and they don't really have a plan. They don't really have a, of a, of a journey that they want to take you on, they haven't thought it out. So be considered. So I think that's very important that you think things through and don't be afraid to fall on your face too. Like I, you know, I kind of shuttered out some some ideas that I had, but I presented them forcefully and passionately. And you know, you shoot your shot, and then then you move on to the next thing. But try to emulate be around people that you want to be like for the right reasons. And I, I find that if you can do that, the the, the you know, people want to help people, and you'd be surprised that I called on people that hugely successful. They, they, they took my call, and they saw me, and you know, you just got to keep trying and trying, you know, and um, and break through and stick to your principles. Oh, I just wanted to say, just thank you for that. That is so inspiring, and it's just beautiful. And I'm grateful you're on my show today. And I just wanted to tell everyone that's listening, from my my moguls to the filmatics that are listening, is that um, Pa has. Is, a, is an Army veteran, and he's a graduate of the University of Tampa. But I just want to say, um, University of Tampa honored him with the Entrepreneurial Service Award. And I just say, you know, he, de he deserves that. You can hear how he speaks with compassion. He himself is kind and nice, and he came on my show. So thank you. And then also in 2018, the University of New Haven awarded Heth with an honored Doctor of Business Administration degree. So just, you know, just thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. My, my pleasure and good luck to everyone out there. And I'm sure I'll see some of you guys in the theater or your movies there. And for you moguls, just look at the, you know, be careful. And, you know, I always tell also people don't get caught up in the, the euphoria of a moment. Like look at things, the, the basics of what you're trying to invest in 
what is the company trying to do, and, and, and always do things in the long term. So, um, uh, and I think there's so much opportunity in the world. We, we tend to focus on the clouds, but not the, not the sun rays, and there's so much opportunity out there. So good luck to everyone, and, and I wish you guys all a safe and healthy week. Yeah, and where can they um, catch up to, like, do you have a Facebook page or um, where they can, like, see your movies that are coming out, Row 19, right? Where do they go to find out? No, no, I, we, you know, I personally kind of don't market myself like like that in a sense. Um, but um, look for our, our movies. Uh, Row 19 will come out in April. And then in Russia, my company's called Carol. And then our production company's called Monumental. So I don't try to do press and things like for myself. I do a little bit on Instagram and LinkedIn. I don't do Facebook. <laughs> which my, my son is always on to me about. And by the way, my son is the big uh, social media guy, so he has a very, very big following on TikTok and, uh, and on Instagram. So you can, his name is Henry Hat. so look for him. But what a pleasure to speak with you guys, and, and God bless everyone, and I wish you all good luck, and you'll find success if you just keep pushing forward. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you, uh, moguls and filmax for tuning in. Until next week, wishing you uh, a happy and beautiful New Year. Stay healthy. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, ma'am.